0: Amen. If you have a Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning to Daniel chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, then you can just uh, follow along or listen along as I read the passage this morning. So we're looking at Daniel chapter 3. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every type of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every type of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every type of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace." And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Well, somebody once said that commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in has left you. Commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in has left you. We don't like to commit to things. If I were to come out with a clipboard, come up to you after the service and say, hey, I want you to commit to do this or do that, probably wouldn't like that very much. We don't like to commit. Uh, in the last several years, we've seen a decline in marriage. And and inversely, we've seen an increase in cohabitation. And what happens is that, you know, people think to themselves, so uh, we can live together and kind of experience the benefits of marriage, but we don't have to be committed. Then if we want out, we can get out at any time. Uh, We do this with uh, our jobs. You know, we're not as committed to our jobs as we used to be maybe 50 or 100 years ago. If our job doesn't work out, then we'll just move on to the next one. Uh, We do this in so many different areas of life. Uh, Now, we may lease a car rather than own a car. We don't want the commitment of having to maintain the car and take care of the car. Maybe we rent versus purchase. Uh, You look at cell phone companies or uh, Internet providers, and, you know, everybody advertises no contract, no commitment, no strings attached you can get out at any time. And just a few years ago, it was like anyone who was, had a cell phone was locked into a two-year contract. But we don't like that commitment. We don't like to be locked in. We might want something today, but there's no guarantee that we're going to want it tomorrow. So we don't want to commit to something, at least long-term. And I think in the country that we live in, I think we live in, the, we live in this capitalistic economy, and I think that we're kind of always in this constant state of negotiation. We don't want to get... A bad deal. We don't want to get locked into something that we can't get out of. We do this even with relationships. Uh, so, you know, maybe if we get tired of, of someone, maybe you unfriend them or politely click to hide their posts on Facebook. Maybe we just stop communication with them. Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor, once said this everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people and they run the other way. So, we don't like this idea of commitment. And we're constantly in this state of negotiation that we don't want to get a bad deal. We don't want to be locked into something. When I was in 10th or 11th grade, I took this AP history class. And the, if you're not familiar with AP classes, basically it was a college level class that I took in high school. And in order to get college credit, you had to take an AP, class at, or AP exam at the end of the year. And if you scored well on the AP exam, you could get college credit. So this was my first experience with college-level work, and it just kind of floored me. Uh, They gave me this book that's like 750 pounds, like three feet tall, and the teacher is like, just memorize like the first three chapters. Just be familiar with all the content. You know, and it's history, so there's all these dates and figures and all this stuff that I'm trying to memorize. And on top of that, the teacher was pretty difficult. Uh, She would give us these quizzes, and they were multiple choice. You would think that would be easy, but it wasn't easy. Uh, you would think that you knew the answer, and maybe you did know the answer, but the, the answers would be so close, A, B, C, D, they'd be so close that after you saw the answers, you're thinking to yourself, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I, maybe it's this one, and everybody did bad on the, the quizzes, I mean, the, almost everybody got like C's or D's, it was extremely rare that anybody got an A, even B's were pretty rare, so everyone did pretty poorly on these quizzes, and I You know, I felt like I was struggling throughout much of the year, even though everyone, you know, is kind of in the same boat. And so I'm putting all this work in. It was probably up to that point, it was the hardest class I'd ever had, the most time I'd ever put into a class. And at the school I went to, at the end of the year, uh, just before the AP exam, a month or so before or, or whatnot, they would have a conference with the teachers, and the teacher would recommend or not recommend that you take the class. And if they said that you should take the exam. And if they said you can't take the exam, you can't take the exam. So that meeting's coming up, and I've put so much time and energy into this class, and I'm ready, I'm just getting all fired up. I'm ready to negotiate, and I'm ready, you know, for her to say, all right, you can't take the the class, and I'm like, wait a minute, I work so hard, I need to take this exam. And so I come to the meeting, all fired up, ready to negotiate. And I go into the meeting, and I don't remember the exact words that she said, but she said something like this She's like, Matthew, I just want to let you know, you are such a good student. I'm so proud of you. You're doing so well. Uh, I am so confident that you're going to do great on this exam. And my mouth almost hit, my jaw almost hit the ground. Because I was ready to negotiate, I was ready to fight to take this test, but she already had my best interest in mind. And I think that we often do something similar in terms of our relationship with God. We come into the relationship with God in terms of kind of a negotiation. It's like, if God does this, then I'll do that. If God gives me this promotion that I've been hoping for, then I will praise Him. If God gives me this relationship, then I will praise Him. If God gives me financial security, then I will praise Him. If God gets me through this illness, then I will praise Him. Or negatively, if God doesn't do certain things, then maybe we think to ourselves, does God really exist? If God doesn't come through for us in the ways that we hope that He would, maybe we think to ourselves, maybe God doesn't exist. And some, sometimes maybe we even walk away from God if that doesn't happen. God doesn't come through in the ways that we hope that He would. And you think about it, and you know, we kind of rationalize that you know, in terms of our relationship with God. But what if we applied that same principle to other relationships, like the relationship of marriage? So imagine a, a, a guy comes to his uh, bride on the wedding day and says, Hey, I just want to let you know I commit to you as long as you keep making good meals. I commit to you as long as you keep uh, my clothes freshly pressed. I commit to you as long as someone better doesn't come along. I commit to you as long as, it doesn't cost me much, as long as you don't get like some disease and I have to take care of you and all that stuff. If that's the case, I don't, I don't want to be part of this. I mean, what would you say about a person like that? They'd be a jerk. Terrible person. You know, and what kind of relationship would that be like? I mean, that man wouldn't make it through the honeymoon alive. And yet, somehow, in our relationship with God, it's like we feel like we don't have to commit. It's like, well, we can just kind of see what happens. If God does this, then I'll do that. If God doesn't do this, then I won't do that. And we're in this constant state of negotiation. But really, a true relationship with God can't happen without a commitment. A real vibrant relationship with God requires a commitment to that relationship. In the passage that we looked at, we just read today, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, during this time in Israel's history, uh, Babylon has come in and kind of conquered the kingdom of Israel. And uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has chosen these four men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, to kind of uh, learn the ways of the Babylonians. And so he's trying to kind of teach them things about what it means to, uh, to be a Babylonian. And so they, he's teaching them a bunch of things. Um, and uh, there was a time uh, just before this chapter... When Nebuchadnezzar is trying to interpret a dream, and he doesn't know the answer to the interpretation of his dream, and Daniel's actually able to interpret it, and because of that, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has great favor on the people, uh, on these people, and so he puts Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in positions of authority over the kingdom, blesses them probably financially, treats them really well because Daniel is able to interpret this dream. Then we get to chapter 3, and uh, Daniel is nowhere to be found in this passage. It's probably the case that he's kind of gone on an administrative uh, appointment because he just doesn't appear at all in this passage. But Nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to erect this idol. And this idol is a massive structure. It's probably about 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And he declares that when the music plays, when there's a lyre, a bagpipe, all these instruments, any instrument is played, everyone has to bow down and worship this idol. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they worship the true God. They're not going to bow down and worship this idol. And so these people called the Chaldeans see this. The Chaldeans were probably uh, referred to the uh, sorcerers and magicians during that time. And so they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't bow the knee. And so they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, Hey, these people that you put in a position of authority, these people who you've blessed, they don't respect you. They don't worship your gods. They're not listening to your command. You need to do something about this. You need to make them respect you. And so Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He calls them in, and apparently he liked them because uh, he gives them another chance. He's like, you just go and worship this idol. When the music plays, you worship the idol, and it will be fine with you. We'll just put this, put this past us. But if you don't, you're going to the fiery furnace. And he seems to even question and challenge the God of Meshach and Abed, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, "Who will save you out of my hands? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands?" Nebuchadnezzar says. I know your God may have some powers. I, I've experienced that. like I was, He was able to interpret my dream. But let's remember, we just conquered you. And in the ancient world, when one kingdom conquered another, it was like their gods conquered the other gods. And so he's saying, hey, your God is not that powerful. I have this authority. The furnace is hot. And if you don't bow down, you're going to the furnace. And then look at the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. O king, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Note what they say. They say, first, God is able to save us. He has the power. He is stronger than any other god. He can save us out of your hand. But two... They express uncertainty whether God will actually do that. They express uncertainty, not that God could do it, but that God will. And sometimes we just pass over that, but you've got to kind of get into their shoes and see the incredible faith that they had. I mean, they're getting closer and closer to this fiery furnace, and it's getting hotter and hotter, and probably it's going through their minds, maybe God isn't going to deliver us here. Maybe we are going to die. And yet still they say, We're going to stay faithful. We're still not going to bow our knee to the idol. They're not in this state of negotiation. They're not like, hey, God, you just promise us that we'll be safe and then we'll serve you. We won't bow down to this idol. Hey, God, you just perform this miracle and show Nebuchadnezzar who you are and then we'll be faithful to you. Then we won't bow down to this idol. No, they say we're going to stay committed no matter what comes. A real vibrant relationship with God cannot happen without a commitment. And I think that two kinds of commitment are necessary for a relationship with God and also for other relationships. First commitment is a a commitment to forsake all other lovers or other gods. Nebuchadnezzar builds his idol to the sky and he, in essence, calls everyone together with music and merriment and says, Look at how great this thing we created is. Look at how great this idol is. And there would have been so much pressure for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship this idol. I mean, first of all, it was this massive structure, probably a beautiful structure that was built. They probably, you know, people in that day thought that this structure, this idol, had power. And so there's this allure that if I worship and bow down, then this God is going to do some special things for me. There's this social pressure. Everybody else is going along and doing it. And then there's the threat of punishment. And just like Nebuchadnezzar kind of erected that idol and said, this is what is important, this is what you need to bow down to, this is what you need to worship, I think our culture does the same thing. Our culture puts certain things on a pedestal and tells us these are the things that are important. These are the things we need to bow down and worship. What are some of those things? Some of, one of those things is sexual expression. It's important that everyone's free to express their sexuality any way they see fit. Money. It's important to make the most money. Your career advancement is what's most important in your life. Pleasure. It's important you do what feels good. Your happiness is all that matters. Acceptance. It's important that you fit in, that you do whatever you can to fit in or you don't have value. And so the world puts things like this and other things on a pedestal and says, these are the things that are important. These are the things that you should bow your knee to. Sexual expression, acceptance, money, pleasure. And then there's a social pressure. Everyone else is doing it. Sometimes even there's this uh, even physical pressure that we're ostracized if we don't partake of these things. And here's the thing. Our God is a jealous God. He will not allow us to bow down to idols. Now, first of all, the first reason is because it's an affront to him when we do that. But also, he knows that when we bow down to idols, we're going to eventually experience destruction. We know, he knows that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he's come to give us life. That's what he says in John chapter 10. And so he wants us to find life in him. He doesn't want us to run to other gods that will not satisfy us, that will lead us to destruction. A few years ago, a writer decided that they were going to do an experiment and the writer created this fictitious uh, dating profile, and it was of this woman who was racist, manipulative, cruel, shallow, annoying, and you know just a terrible person, and you know fictitious person. And uh, so, for example, on th- this profile, she put that on a typical Friday night, she likes to go knock the cups out of homeless people's hands. Uh, her summary of herself is she said, I'm a goddess, and I do me. So in every way, she tr- they tried to just make her out to be the worst possible human being on the planet, almost so bad that like, a person like that couldn't exist. And how many people were interested in this woman? 150 men were interested in this woman. The reason? Because apparently her profile picture was an attractive young woman. 150 people were interested in a person, a woman that was so terrible that it's beyond belief, but was attractive. And I think in the same way, we can be drawn to other loves that seem attractive on the surface, but that lead us to destruction. Real vibrant relationship with Christ cannot happen without a commitment to forsake all others. Second commitment, a commitment to walk with Jesus, means... Walking with him, even if it takes us down a difficult road. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to follow after God, even if it took them to the fiery furnace. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 14, he, made, he said some hard words. Luke fourteen twenty five to 30, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned aside and said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus is essentially asking the crowds, Are you willing to follow me even if it costs you something? Are you willing to follow me even if it disrupts your relationships? Are you willing to follow me not just on the mountaintop, but also in the valley? He's looking for a commitment from the people. He says, will you follow me even when when I call you to give up something precious? A real vibrant relationship with God cannot happen without a commitment to follow him, even if it means following him on a difficult road. We can't be in it just for the good times. We have to be in it for the valleys as well. So a real vibrant relationship with God requires a commitment. But it requires not just a commitment from us, it also requires a commitment from God. And the good news is God is way more committed to us than we could ever be committed to Him. Now, you think about the commitment that we have to God, and it makes perfect sense that we would be committed to God. I mean, if you think of God being the source of all life, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the galaxies into existence. We think about the fact that he's given us all things to enjoy. He's given his very life, dying on the cross for us. He offers us hope. He offers us peace. He offers us a future. In his presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So why wouldn't we want to commit to him? Why wouldn't we want to commit to him? That's our commitment. But consider God's commitment. Consider who he's committing to. He's committing to people who have this tendency to follow after other gods, to follow after other lovers. He's choosing to commit himself to people who bow the knee to idols. He's choosing to commit himself to people who could never give him anything in return. He's choosing to commit himself to people who have become ugly because of our sin. And yet Jesus chose to commit to us. He chose to come to the earth To live a perfect life and to die the death that we deserve so that we can experience life. God is radically committed to us. He was committed to us before we could ever be committed to him. And the only reason we can commit to him is because he's already committed to us. There's a man by the name of Max Zogby. And several years ago, he fell in love with this young woman named Bonnie Kate They met in church, and the only problem was there was this age gap between them. He was twenty-one, she was sixteen, and uh, it's not that big of a difference—five years. But at that age, it's just kind of weird. And so he waited for two years until she turned eighteen, and a couple minutes, a couple, couple months, (laughs) a couple minutes, just waited right to that time. (laughs) She, he had the text message ready to go. A couple months after, they started dating. And uh, he was, you know, he had been in love with her for two plus years. And, you know, they started dating, and he just like scared her away. Like he was just head over heels in love with her, and she just ran for the hills. And so she was going to do some missions work in Haiti, uh, working with some children there. And uh, she got this pretty severe gastrointestinal disease, and she was, you know, throwing up dozens of times a day. So she had to come back home. And so she comes back home to New Orleans where she lived, and she had an opportunity to help a friend who lived in Seattle who, and who was moving cross-country down to New Orleans. So she went up to Seattle to make this cross-country trip, and they happened to go through Aurora, Colorado. And uh, just kind of on a whim at the last minute, the front desk person who was there at the hotel they were staying at said, ''Hey, I got these movie tickets. Do you want to go see this movie?'' They said, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll go. And so they went to see, uh, I think it was the premiere of The Dark Knight Rises in Aurora, Colorado. Now, you may remember what happened there. A uh, gunman broke in with an AR-15, just started shooting people up, and she was actually hit by a bullet and went right through her kneecap. And uh, this began a process, a long process of recovery, of reconstructive surgery, physical therapy, intense pain, uh, trying to process it psychologically and the trauma related to that and so meanwhile max is hasn't talked to her in months and uh he kind of he found out that she was you know sick from being in haiti and he had kind of prayed for her somehow he found out that she was in uh in colorado contacted her parents they said yeah i think she's in this area and he went over to their house prayed Uh, with them at 3 a.m. for her safety. And in that moment, he decided that he was going to do something. He decided he was going to be the best friend that he could be to Bonnie Kate, no matter if it meant being in a relationship or not being in a relationship with her. So in the next ensuing months, he did everything that he could to show love to that family. He helped care for Bonnie Kate's family and siblings. He went to the hospital, and even when she didn't want to see him, he went in the parking lot and prayed for her. He skipped his work to go to her physical therapy sessions. All just trying to be the best friend that he could be, even if it meant nothing materialized in terms of a relationship. Of course, after some time, she did respond to his love. After some time, she, they started to talk about their future together, and he started to plan a proposal. Ironically, he was a filmmaker, and he put together this elaborate movie trailer, and uh, he had her go to this movie and kind of had it set up with the movie theater that this trailer would play before the movie they were going to see, and then he would get down and propose to her. And of course, she said yes. And if you're interested, in, the, there's actually a documentary, a little thing that he produced. It's called, if you type in Google uh, wildflower Proposal. You can see this story. is about 25 minutes long. It's a very really touching story. But I think what's most stood out to me is the fact that he chose to love her, even if it meant nothing in return. He, co- he, to- he chose to love her, even when everybody else told him, you should just move on with your life. I mean, just leave this behind. Leave this girl behind. Forget about it. And yet he chose to love her anyways. It's the story of a person who chose to love when good common sense told him he should give up. And I think that's the story of the gospel. God loved us before we were interested in loving him. In fact, while we were still his enemies, while we had nothing, wanted nothing to do with him. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how committed God is to each and every one of us. So I have two questions for us to consider today. First, have you made a commitment to a relationship with Christ? Have you committed to a relationship with Christ? If not, today is the day. The Bible says the way that we do that is by repenting, turning from the direction that we're going, turning from ourselves, trusting in ourselves, trusting in other gods, and choosing to follow after, committing to follow after Christ. His desire is not that we would spend attorney separated from him but that we would spend an attorney with him a perfect place of joy in a relationship with him we can't wait today is the only thing that we're given there's an old russian story uh, about a man named eugene ogen eugene was a jaded aristocrat and uh there was this young woman named tatiana tatiana fell in love with eugene and wrote him this letter and he was kind of so self-absorbed that he didn't even respond to this letter. And in this letter, he, she had offered her love to him. Doesn't even respond, and then they meet again, and he turns her down and tells her, well, the letter was touching, but I don't think I could be married to you. And so he moves on. Then several years go by, and he goes to this St. Petersburg club, and he sees this woman, and she's like the most beautiful woman that he's ever seen before. And it's Tatiana. He starts to fall in love with her. But at this time, she's already married. Once her love had been offered to him, but now the door is shut. Now it was too late. I think in a similar way, now sometimes it's easy to reject Christ. It's easy to follow after other gods, thinking that they'll satisfy us. Sometimes those other gods can look attractive on the surface even though they lead us to destruction. But one day, Jesus is going to return, and the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. One day, each and every one of us will see the glory and the beauty of Christ. But if we haven't committed to him, if we don't have a relationship with him, it'll be too late. So today is the day to make that commitment. And if you'd like to make that commitment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to express your heart to God in just a few minutes in prayer. But for those of us who are believers, the question I have for us is how committed are you to your relationship with Christ? Maybe some of us, maybe all of us today, maybe we need to recommit ourselves to our relationship with Christ. Aristotle once said that wishing to be friends is quick work, but friendship is a slow ripening fruit. It takes a lot of effort, commitment to develop our relationship with Christ or a relationship with anyone. It takes hard work. There's a study that was, uh, a report that was put out a few years ago uh, by a man by the name of Jeffrey Hall, who was a communications professor. And he discovered that it takes roughly 50 hours of time together to move from a mere acquaintance to a casual friend, 90 hours to go from that stage to simple friend status, and more than 200 hours before you can consider someone your close friend. It takes time. It takes commitment. So how committed are we? To our relationship with Christ. See, a real vibrant relationship with Christ cannot happen without a commitment. Christ is committed to us. He is radically committed to us. He's committed to us so much that he came to die on the cross for our sins. But how committed are we to him? Have we given our life to him? Are we walking with him each and every day? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here, you've never committed yourself to Christ. I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. To Express your heart to God. The words are not important. It's just a a way to get started your relationship with Christ. If if that's you and you'd like to begin a relationship with Christ, you're going to repeat this prayer after me. Today is the day to do that. You can say something like this in your heart, not out loud, just in your heart. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that i and uh, bowed my knee to other gods. Lord, today I turn from my sin. Lord, I turn from trusting in myself. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to follow you on the mountain. Lord, I want to follow you in the valley. Lord, I trust... In the gift that you've given me on the cross. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me. And change me. Others of us today, maybe we're believers. And maybe it's just... Just give us a moment of silence. And then I'll close us in prayer. Just spend a few moments talking with God. Maybe just saying something like, God, I, I want to follow you. I want my relationship with you to be my most important relationship. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I'll give you just a couple minutes of silence to do business with God, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. While we were chasing after other gods, while we were mired by our sin and broken, you came down to the earth and died on the cross to rescue us, to pick us up, to make us into something beautiful. Lord, we thank you that you are so radically committed to us. The only reason we can love you The only reason we can be committed is because you've been committed to us. Lord, for anyone here who hasn't trusted you, Lord, I pray that you just get a hold of their heart. For those of us who had, Lord, we know it takes hard work to build relationships. And Lord, we just pray that we would be committed with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.